All right. Hey, uh, the title for the text today is, or the sermon title is, No Middle Ground. All right. So anyway, as I was saying prior to my mic being on, Emily and I came here January 05 as student ministers. We had the opportunity to begin just to, to love on our kiddos and go and support them in different activities, different ways. And one of the things was that some of our kiddos played football. And so we would go to games. And prior to the game, Mr. Frank would get on there and ask that question, right? Who are you going to what? Who are you going to be for, right? It was a moment in which, like, obviously your allegiance was probably pretty obvious, like, likely by the way you would, you would clothe yourself, right, the green and gold, likely by the side of the bleachers that you were sitting on indicated your allegiance. But this was like a further moment for you to voice what was in your heart, like with your lips. And it was a clear moment in which you were declaring either you're for the dragons or you're against them. See, there's no middle ground. When we come today to Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 37, it's a clear statement. Jesus says to us, either you're for me or you're against me. Either you're for me or you're for Satan. And before like any of us begin to like scoff at that question, like think, well, who of us here is going to be for Satan? The most religious men on the face of the earth at this time think they're for God and they're actually for Satan. That's the irony and the moment of the text of great intensity is they think they've sided with God, yet in fact, in rejecting with Christ, they're siding with Satan. And here's the hope today from this text. Christ has power over Satan. Christ has power over Satan. Therefore, he can guarantee our forgiveness of sins and he has the power to transform our hearts. So, Because Christ, of who He is as King, He has the power over Satan and every demon. Therefore, listen, He can guarantee your forgiveness of sins and He can transform your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now coming to text today, we're going to begin to wrestle with this first truth, right? Jesus has power over Satan because He is the King filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has power over Satan. If you've wondered that or wondered maybe at some point, is it some competition? I want you to know today, he has clear power and authority. And because he is the king of all kings, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. As you make your way to Matthew 12, begin there in verse 22. Remember what we've been dealing with. Jesus has been on the scene throughout Matthew healing and preaching the gospel and performing miracles and signs. And we close Matthew 11 with him promising that come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you what? Rest. And we dealt last, last week with the first 21 verses of Matthew 12 as he brings rest on the Sabbath. The ultimate day in which would signify rest that actually hadn't brought it. And he says to you, I can bring rest in the most impossible areas of your life. And now we come to this truth to realize that he also can bring rest from Satan and his power. Jesus can bring rest to you from your sins. And Jesus can bring rest because he can truly transform your heart. It's this hope, this moment of Jesus, the fulfillment of this promise of rest. Pick up as you would, begin in verse 22 of Matthew 12. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him. So the man spoke and saw. So we have demon oppression, right? It appears the demon has the power to make the man blind and mute. So the demonic world has real power, real authority. Satan and his demons. We're going to see more of that throughout the text. He has real power, real authority. But I want you to see that this man comes to Jesus and Jesus heals the man so that the result is the man now does what? 
He can speak and he what? He can see, right? The very things that the demon had done, Jesus has the power to overcome. Christ has the power to overcome Satan and any demonic being, any demonic angel. They are no match for him. It's a moment. It's a glimmer to us of the fact that one day he is going to reverse the curse ultimately and totally. That Satan and all demonic beings will be cast out forever and ever into the lake of fire. The people realize this and they begin to ask among themselves. Look what it says, verse 23. The people are amazed, right? I mean, demonic possession, that just doesn't happen. In fact, you read through the Old Testament, you're going to be hard-pressed to find examples of demonic oppression being cast out. This man is clearly different. And that's why they ask the question, can this be who? All right. Can this be who? The son of David. David, the one who had slain The giant Goliath. David, who was the warrior king who had set them free from all the oppressors around them and and driven those people out and conquered them, right? The question is, if this is the son of David, it's a question. It's a question also of uncertainty because they know who the son of David is supposed to be in their minds. He is supposed to be the one who will throw off Roman oppression and bring them freedom, and so they're wondering, well, listen, if he could do this, then surely he can, he can drive out the Romans. Could this actually be the son of David? And the question, the tension is, why is this man, if he's truly the son of David, so meek and gentle in heart? Could it actually be him? The Pharisees realizing the tension of the moment. The crowd shifting, looking, wondering. The Pharisees hear their question and begin, listen to what they said back in verse 24. It's only by... Beelzebul, who is the prince of demons, right? A title referring to Satan. It is only by Satan, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. The Pharisees are alarmed, right? If this man is truly the son of David, the people will begin to follow him. That means they'll begin to reject the Sabbath rules and all their regulations like we've seen at the beginning of Matthew 12. That means they won't be looking to them and giving them all the honor and the power they so long and hunger for. Jesus here is the power of God. And they yet are saying, listen, I want you to know the reason why he can do it. It's because he's got the power of Satan working in him. Listen to Jesus' response. Verse 25 of Matthew 12. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. The statement is familiar, right? Look back to verse 25. Every kingdom, so a kingdom that's divided against itself is laid waste, right? Or literally, he says to them, it will not stand. Similar, no city or house that is divided against itself will stand, right? I mean, we think about this. This is the mantra that flows, right, for the United States of America. United we stand what? You think we're closer to standing or falling? There's serious disunity in our country, beloved. Hatred seems to be ruling the day, whether it's because of the color of skin or political party or lifestyle choices and on and on. Beloved, it is imperative that we as believers, as the church, remind our culture there is another way. 
It is as Jesus our master said unto us. By this all people will know that you are my disciple if you what? Love one another. This doesn't mean that we don't hold fast to the scriptures and stand our ground, right? We need to stand, right? And we remind ourselves that the only true standing is standing with Christ. That's the one rock that will stand when all others are crushed. But we need to remind ourselves, beloved, it is important for us to love and to forgive, to show humility and to love even our enemies and to forgive them. It's important to remind her, again, this mantra is often echoed throughout the United States. United we stand, divided we fall. It's imperative as we come to November and look toward elections that we look to these people and say, where do they stand? Do they stand in the truth of God's Word in light of Scripture or they stand against them? Every candidate, we are making those evaluations, looking at how have they voted, how have they, what are they saying, right? And Jesus is going to talk about those words in a few moments. But it's imperative, right, to remember that. And not only that, listen, it's not only about the nation. Jesus says, listen, if this city's divided, we won't stand. It's a reminder the house is divided. If this church becomes divided, we won't stand. If your marriage becomes divided, it won't stand. Jesus says it is impossible for those who are divided to stand. And so Jesus is drawing a clear line to them to say, listen, if it's ultimately... Well, look what he says, verse 26. And if Satan cast out Satan... He's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? He's saying, listen, the demonic beings are a part of Satan's army. It would make no sense for Satan to cast out his minions. He's saying your argument falls. It defeats itself. Why would Satan be driving out his own demons? That works against his plan. You see, they're they're accusing him of doing this by the power of Satan. He's saying that's not the case at all. And then he asked them that question, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, well then by whom do your sons cast them out? He's going to deal with that a little bit more as we come to the text. Look at me if you would now at verse 28. This argument again, defeating itself and Jesus going on further. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. All right, so Jesus does a little if then, right? So see that, if then. So if this is true, then this, right? So let's walk with it just for a moment, verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God. So again, if the Spirit of God is doing something, that He's casting out the demons, then this is is what that must mean. It means the kingdom of God has what? It's come upon you. The kingdom's here. Right? If He's doing this by the Spirit of God, He's saying clearly, I want you to know, that indicates to everyone the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is saying to you, listen, look what He says here. uh, Verse 29, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, listen, because I have the power to come in and set this demon-oppressed man free, that must indicate I have the power and authority to bind Satan. Jesus is saying that I can set anyone, anywhere free. No demonic being, Satan himself, no hardness of heart, condition of sin is too much for God. God can set anyone, anywhere free. And this is major. Why? Because listen, I want you to know Satan has the power. He is holding all those who are apart from Christ captive. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Look what he says further than in verse 2, Ephesians 2. He says, this is the way in which we all once walked. Following the course of this world, listen to what he says here, this is important. Following the prince of the power of the air, referring to whom? Satan. The spirit that is now, listen to what he says about this spirit. He says the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
which Paul has just said is everyone apart from Christ. That's our default position under the power and influence of Satan. So should it surprise us to see our culture, nation, and world imploding? Satan is looking to wreck things. He's looking, his revelation looks to bring upon this moment in which this, this, this Antichrist will come on the scene and promise peace and the world will clamor for it. Do you see us trending to that trajectory? How far it is in the future? I have no idea. But we see it happening as Satan is working and he's, he says, listen, they're under the influence. They're following the prince of the power of the air, even if they don't realize it. Further, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Listen to what it says. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is who? The devil. All right, so a lot of things are happening. I can't go super deep in a lot of this, but I'm trying to give you a little bit of a basis, a background of what's happening here in Matthew 12 to understand Christ overcoming Satan, the significance of it. All right, so let's look through it just for a moment. All right, so Jesus comes, okay? He is coming that through his death, he is going to destroy someone, this one, right? The one is specifically the devil, right? So we're seeing that. The devil has what power? The power of death, specifically, right? He has the power to lead us into sin. Satan is using our wicked heart and desires. Satan is driving people to go further and further away from God. It is the power of Satan to entice and to allure you. He has the power of death, right? Why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. He's trying to lead you not to the cross, but instead further and further away. And what is so difficult, beloved, is this, that Paul says to the church at Corinth that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's deceptive. It doesn't appear bad. It sounds right in your heart, your mind. But the reality is he's leading you away from the cross and the truth of the gospel. And he does it under many mantras, many other religions, many ways. But Jesus has come to destroy that one, the devil. And listen to what he does. Verse 15 of Hebrews 2. And deliver. So not only does he destroy Satan, right? He's destroying him. Through his own death, right? That's what Colossians 2 and 15 is talking to you about, that he's delivering us from the captive, right? He's, he's overcoming Satan and, and, and disarming all powers and authorities. But look what he says here. And delivering all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He's delivering you from the fear of death. He's delivering you from fear of standing before God in your sin. He's giving you that peace, as we sang this morning, the hope of being forgiven. It's this hope of the gospel. Christ came to break every chain. He can break every power, every authority. Nothing is too much for Him. Christ has all power and authority over Satan and every demon. Therefore, He alone can set you and I free. The question right now is, will you repent and believe? Will you continue under the power of the prince of the air? Or will you repent and believe upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved and set free? That's the only option. You're either with Christ or against Him. Listen, that's exactly what he says here. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is what? Against me. He says, again, who are you going to be for? You're either with me or you're against me. There is no middle ground. It's this moment of truth. I remember as a kid, 
I had two big brothers who liked to bully me and push me around a lot until, until the door opened and my dad showed up. And in that moment, guess what? The power transfer had taken place. There was someone who was more powerful, had more authority, and he could step in into my life and my dad's presence, right? They were still there. They were still maybe trying to bring some, some, some noise into my life. But the truth is, in my dad's presence, their power and authority was gone. There was one who had more power and more authority over my life than they did. And indeed, he had power and authority over their lives as well. And guess what he did? He exercised it for my good. In the same way, Satan's power over us is real. But when Christ shows up, beloved... If the Son has set you free, what? You are free indeed. It is the power of Christ that can set you free. That just what He does for this man, He can do for you. He can set you free. That guess what? You begin to see the world differently. Those that you were once hating, you now love. You can now speak differently. He's going to show us here. He's going to so transform our heart that our words come from a heart that's been redeemed and transformed. It's the hope of the gospel bringing the kingdom of God to the earth, Jesus is, by the power of the Spirit. Well, the good news is the same Spirit that indwells Christ and empowers Him to bring the kingdom empowers and fills the church to bring the kingdom. How might we do this to the hurting and broken? Through weekly ministries, right? It's been looked a little different in the light of COVID, but we're excited, looking forward to October 14th, that Wednesday night, to return back to children's ministry and, and starting slowly back down that way of loving and ministering on kids here and hoping, looking forward to bringing more of them. Secondly, listen, we're, we're hoping to care for the oppressed in our community, right? There's groups and teams of folks who, who go out and, and minister and do work projects. Maybe it's building a handicap ramp. Maybe, right, there was a group of, of youth and adults who went out and helped someone clean up their home and take care of some things they just couldn't do. I don't know if maybe you have some of those gifts or maybe you just desire to be a servant. I want to let you know that's a way in which we can bring the kingdom of God, the freedom, the forgiveness, the hope of the gospel to this community. We also, as Paul says, we wage the war not as the world does. Our weapons, of the wor- wor- our weapons of warfare are not of the weapons of the world, but on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We wage war spiritually in prayer. I hope and pray that you joined us yesterday. I hope and pray that maybe a few weeks ago you were able to be with us on Wednesday night as we went to different areas in our community and we drove around and got out and spent time as a church body praying together, uniting together, lifting up folks and individuals in those areas. Listen, it's clear from this text that Jesus has the power over Satan, that Jesus can do what seems impossible, and that's going to be absolutely crucial because you're getting ready to come to one of the most difficult, hard texts in the entirety of Scripture blasphemy and the unforgivable sin buckle up church christ followers second truth christ followers are forgiven of everything this is a truth that in the light of this pursuit of blasphemy and what is the unforgivable sin is often missing i think it's absolutely major that christ followers are forgiven of everything but let's wrestle again with this moment of what is the unforgivable sin therefore verse 31 i tell you Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Hear those words. Those are major weighty words. Verse 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And here's the weight of it. Either in this age or in the age to come. 
So, again, the issue is blasphemy, right? He's dealing with that, right? This, this, we're seeing that title being used quite a bit, right? He indicates here it's speaking against, right? In both cases, the Spirit, right? Or speaking against, as he notes here, the Holy Spirit. Notice the statement there, they will not be forgiven. That's clear. He echoes that twice, will not be forgiven. Blasphemy of the Spirit is attributing the work of the Spirit to Satan. It's saying that God's Holy Spirit, who is indeed holy, is in fact evil. There are those who contend that this passage is no longer applicable to us today because they think it was a unique thing in which only at the time of Christ could Christ's works in the power of the Spirit, ultimately be attributed to Satan, right? And so they see this as saying this is only something that could have happened when Christ was actually walking the earth. I'm not entirely convinced of that, and I hope to show you maybe why. And I think it's maybe specifically this, and as you're going to kind of maybe hope and see through here and talking through a couple other passages, is that blasphemy is not specifically a one-time event, but instead it is a settled condition of a hardened heart, that continually rejects the Holy Spirit as the Spirit points us unto Christ. As Jesus says in John 16, when the Spirit comes, He will lead us into all truth. He will convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus is talking about the Spirit in John 3, that the Spirit moves as He will. He says the flesh accounts for nothing. It's only the Spirit that can ultimately bring regeneration, bring conviction of sins. And so the Holy Spirit is always working to point us unto Christ. He is saying Christ is the truth. Christ is the way. Christ is the only hope of forgiveness. But the heart becomes hardened to that truth. As Paul says, we don't have time today, but look in Romans 1, that people began to worship themselves and creatures rather than the the Creator. They began to do and desire things and God gives them over. It says Romans 1 closes with this, this mantra that not only they do these things, they approve of those who do them as well. They just say, that's it, that's it. Reject Christ. Live any way you want. Seek your best life now. After all, God only wants you to be happy. Psalm 90, or Citing Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 warns us to not harden our hearts. He says, just like the people did back in the rebellion, back toward the wilderness. And he says, because of that, verse 11 says, here's the result of hardening your heart, of rejecting God and saying, I want nothing to do with the truth of God's Word. I'll have no more of that. Verse 11 says that those people never entered God's rest. That's the ultimate danger of hardening your heart. As you come to a place of becoming so callous, so stiff-necked, as uh, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, that you no longer desire or want anything to do with Christ as the Spirit brings conviction. Listen, as you hear this Word of God preached week after week, your heart just becomes more and more closed off to it. You want less and less to do. You feel like it's invading what you enjoy with the pleasures you seek this world. And this word seems to speak against it. And so you would rather have this temporary world than the eternal treasure of Christ. Be terrified. That's journey toward a hard heart. It's terrifying, beloved, when we reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear. Only one thing is indeed unforgivable, and that is rejecting Jesus Christ because He is the only offer of salvation. Therefore, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will stand before God in your own sin because there is no other payment for sin. 
It is only the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, beloved. If you reject Him, God will reject you. And you will suffer the wrath and judgment of God for all eternity. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you today, do not harden your hearts, but run, repent, and believe and cry out for mercy. It's the only hope. There are folks, I recently had a conversation with someone who was concerned about this very thing. What is blasphemy? And they were concerned specifically that maybe they had committed it. Right? There are those who maybe you at some point got angry with God and said something. There were those who maybe you've lived or done some terrible sin. Or maybe there's some that have got to such a wicked place that they even purposely tried to do this. I usually counsel back the reality is the fact that you have a deep concern and burden that you may have done it indicates to me that you likely have not. Because the clarity of Scripture is those who have do not care if they have because they want nothing to do with God. Their heart has become hardened. Their neck is so stiff they refuse and resist the work of the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, if you're here today and you're wondering, maybe this is me and you feel the, the weight of that, I would compel you, that's good news, the Spirit is still working. You feel the conviction, and I would compel you of this hope, this beauty, this good news that's coming, that's often so missed right here. Listen to this hope right here. Look at it back in verse 31. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be what? We'll be forgiven. Do you see it? We often rush past it in our search of what is blasphemy, and have I done it? Listen to what Jesus says. This is huge. Therefore I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be what? Forgiven. It's the hope of the gospel. That every sin could be forgiven. That even every blasphemy will be forgiven. No matter what you may have done, no matter how bad you or others think it is, Satan can't hold you in those chains. No sin can hold you in those chains. Even blasphemy at some point in your past can't hold you in those chains because Jesus is greater. Therefore, today, if you experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit, do not resist or harden your heart. Come unto Christ this day. Cry out to Him, Jesus, Son of David, save me. Have mercy on me. Beloved, there is no middle ground. You're either with Christ or you're against Him. It's the hope that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. What a moment, right? Jesus is saying that this is Christ's own lips. Listen, though, forgiveness is never easy. It costs God His own Son. Forgiveness for you, beloved, will never be easy. In Lebanon, Tennessee, this is, this is Pastor Eric Reed. He's the pastor of the Journey Church, Lebanon, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. That's he and his son, Caleb. Caleb was born in 2004, and Caleb had an issue with one of his kidneys. At about the age of two, the doctors went in to perform a procedure on Caleb. They were going to remove the bad kidney and, and continue to work. And soon after the surgery, Caleb was, things were going wrong. They weren't sure, but he was not doing well. Soon they had to walk in the room and tell them the news that the doctor had removed not only the bad kidney, but also the good one as well. For 15 years... Caleb and his family will face health complication after health complication until this last year, 2019, Caleb went to be with the Lord. Pastor Eric Reed and his family have had to deal with maybe something we might think would be unforgivable. And the good news is, as Christ says, because we have been forgiven of everything, we can forgive others of everything. 
The reality is some of you may be on the other side of that. You may think something you've done is absolutely unforgivable. I don't know what you've done, but what I do know is what Christ has done. And the truth is that as Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. His mercy and forgiveness is more. So beloved, today you can be free. You can finally forgive yourself because you know there's a God who has a higher standard than you and He was satisfied with the Son of God so much so that on the third day He raised Him to life saying, I've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I am satisfied in the Son of God that is the forgiveness that is available. But I compel you, believer, for those who have been forgiven of everything, Christ now calls us to go and do likewise to forgive others. So Christ followers have been forgiven of everything. Secondly, Christ followers have a transformed heart. Verse 33 of Matthew 12 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are doing it, when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't lose sight of the context. Jesus is asking them this question. He's saying, listen, guys. If I'm driving out demons and you're saying it's by the prince of demons, then by who do your disciples drive them out? Right? Like, I mean, like, if, if I'm doing this, if I, you're saying that when your disciples drive out demons, that's good, and they do it by the power of God, then how am I somehow different now? Right? He's putting them in, a, he's trapping them to say, listen, the, the truth is, I'm a good tree. The fruit bears witness, I'm a good tree. And listen to what Jesus says. For the tree, verse 33, for the tree is known by its fruit. He's saying, listen, your life, your character, your inner being is actually known by your outward actions. The clarity of what's going on in your heart and mind is being bared witness through your life. And as he's going to say here in verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. If you want to know what's in someone's heart, right? It's uh, Some translations here don't only use abundance they speak out of the overflow or what are the hearts full of right so if you've wondered what's in the heart of someone jesus says well just listen to them for a little bit listen to the words that come out i don't know if you had the opportunity to maybe travel to other countries where you can't walk and turn the faucet on like you did this morning and water come out it's a blessing to live in a place where you can turn clean water coming out of your faucet But even here, right, we have times when water lines break or there's issues and you go to turn that water on. Instead of being clean water, it's actually dirty. Because the truth is, no matter how pretty or nice your faucet is, whatever's on the inside, when you turn that faucet, that's what comes out. Jesus says to us, to you and I, that what's going on on the inside of our heart, it's like when the faucet of our mouth opens. Whatever's in there, that's what's coming out. And you may think, well, who cares? That's no big deal. Jesus has words to measure our hearts in those moments. Listen to what he says. Verse 20, 35, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, this is why we should hear these words significantly. Let them weigh on us this morning. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every what? Careless word they speak. For, Jesus says, here's, here's the reason why. For, by your words, you are either going to be justified or your words will what? Condemn you. 
doesn't seem that impossible, does it? I mean, I don't know if you realize it or not, but likely if you have some type of Alexa device or maybe you have Google Home or whatever, I'm not sure you know it or not, but there's been lots of privacy issues with that. And the truth is it's kind of terrifying. I, I pulled up at one point when I got more aware of what was going on and I pulled up our Alexa just to see. And guess what? Date and time stamps were just simple questions like, what's the weather? Hey, Alexa, play that. Hey, there's an argument with my kids that Alexa recorded, right? Right? Somebody said, hey, Alexa. And the kid says, give me that back. Right? And there it is right on Alexa, right? It's kept there. My point back to us, if Alexa and Google or whomever is able to keep and record all the words that we've said, which is terrifying, right? You think it's even scary you have a conversation at some point, you pull out your phone, the next thing you do, there's an ad for what you just talked about. It's seemingly someone's listening, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm just saying there's some some weirdness there. There's some craziness. My point in using that is, is not to get you so messed up with that that you lose touch. My point is, if technology is able to do that in some limited fashion, what about an infinite, all-present, all-knowing God? He's not missed even a careless word that you and I have ever spoken. He has account for everything we've said, thought, or done for the entirety of our days. Will that not compel every single one of us to run to Christ? Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me. Today, how could you reject Him? You could be forgiven of all that. Your history wiped clean because Christ has washed you by His blood on the cross. Wow. What a moment. What a moment of hope. But Jesus says, I want you to know, guys, that your words on that day, on the day of judgment, will either declare that you are, in fact, justified or that you have been condemned. It says to us, as he says in verse 35, it's, the reality is your words are testifying to the fact that either you are what Jesus calls a good person who has a good treasure that brings forth good, or you are in fact the opposite of that. You are an evil person with an evil treasure that brings forth evil. And he says your words are in fact revealing the very condition of your heart. The truth is we're all evil here. Romans 3, Paul says that there is no one good, there is no one righteous, there is no one who seeks God. Thus, how could we as evil people ever become the good person with the good treasure to bring forth good? And the good news is that the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, 26, there is going to come a day when God will send forth His prophet, His messenger, who will bring about such a transformation of your life that He can now send forth His Spirit in you and will give you a new heart, a new heart with new desires, new actions, A new treasure, a good treasure that will bring forth good. Guys, we aren't simply to pretend that we are with Jesus at church on Sunday and with somebody else on Monday. Christ followers have transformed words. Why? Because they have a transformed heart. I want to ask you right now, if I'm on the screen just for a moment and... um. And I just started writing here, right? Uh, it just showed up, right? It, Amazon, Alexa, whomever, Google had your entire transcript of every careless word that you have spoken this past week. I want to ask you one simple question. Would it serve to either justify you as a follower of Christ or would it in fact condemn you as guilty? Just this week. My assumption is most of you, like me, shudder at the fact of everything maybe you've said or thought or done being on this screen. And it ought to compel all of us to come unto Christ. To cry out for His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. 
Beloved, do your words say that you are with Christ or against him? On the day of judgment, will your words serve to justify you or will they prove that you are in fact guilty? Just like this demon-possessed man, you can't overcome the enemy. But there is hope because Christ already has. And therefore, by being united with Him, your sins can be forgiven and your heart changed. It's transformation through regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit as God's Spirit comes to indwell you. And He transforms you from the inside out. Beloved, hear Christ's words clearly today. There is no middle ground. You are either with and in Christ or you are against Him. Have you repented and believed and received the Spirit of God that transforms your heart and actions? If not, today I compel you to call out to Him now. Plead with Him for mercy and grace. Believer, if your words and your actions this week are not reflecting the fact that you are born again and bought with the blood of Christ, then repent. Cry out to God, forgive me, cleanse me, renew me, give me this, transform my heart, Lord. I want to bring forth good. Beloved, he said, if you ask anything in accordance with my will, know that you have it. If you ask to become more like Christ, that is in accordance with God's will. He will change and transform you. There is hope today because of Christ. I compel you to respond. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, we pray, hoping today that you, you alone will do what you can do, God, that you would bring conviction of sin, that you would overwhelm us with your grace and your mercy. We're all here guilty. Lord God, thank you for forgiveness in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray now that as your people, we will stand with Christ, that we will not be divided, God. May even the words of our mouth this coming week, God, may they bear much fruit for our Father's glory, showing ourselves to truly be your disciple. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that even the most seemingly unforgivable thing because of Christ is forgivable. May none of us here in this place harden our hearts, reject the Holy Spirit, and be cast into hell forever, God. Please, Lord, let that not happen. Please, Lord. I plead with you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.